Well, let's go back up in uh, chapter 9 to um, the 13th verse, just as a kind of a repeat so we recognize where we're at. Um, we're now in that section of the, uh, what we would call the, the trumpet plagues, where we're watching, we're watching God not, not do something new. Okay, remember, remember what the book of Revelation does. If you could just take a circle and then superimpose another circle on top of that circle and then superimpose another circle on top of that circle, you're starting to get the book of Revelation. It's not written linearly. It's written in circles, right? So you go through a couple of chapters and you see God do these things. Then you start over and you see him do them again. Then you start over and you see him do them again. And what's being, what's being addressed in each one of these circles is the work of Jesus Christ from the, from the time he's come into this world all right, his, his advent, his birth, till the time that he will come back again, all right? So we're, we're right now in, in kind of that um, third circle, if you will, of, of work. And we're watching these trumpets be blown, and as the trumpets are blown, what's happening is we're, we're watching destruction, devastation happening on planet Earth. Some of it is natural, okay? So... Um, who did I meet from, from California uh, the other night? You guys, right? So, so in California, there's a drought, right? In Lincoln, this summer, there was like a flood. And so the people in California are like, well, why don't you give us some of your flood and we'll give you some of our drought and we'll be balanced, right? Well, guess what? You read the Revelation and what does it tell you? You have the black horse who's riding with a scale in his hands. And guess what the scale is? Out of balance. What is out of balance? The natural resources on this earth are out of balance. So when I turn on the TV, I've never, I've never heard a weatherman yet say, these tornadoes are an act of God. I've never heard a weatherman say, this drought and these wildfires are an act of God. But they are. How do I know that? What's well, right here in the book? It's God's alien work. It's what he does to his own planet right, <clears throat> that is meant to say something to human beings. Who in California can solve the drought pro problem? No one. Who can solve a wildfire problem? We fly planes over, we pour a lot of water and chemicals and stuff, but at the end, you know what, we're going to have another fire somewhere. You can't stop it. And God says, no, you can't, human beings. You need to come down on your knees, repent, and come before me. Well, by the time you get to the sixth trumpet, right, uh, or, or the, these last uh, trumpets here in this circle, you now have something begin to happen that we haven't seen before. Most of the work of God is in the realm of nature. Trumpet five, six, seven are, guess what, in the supernatural realm. And so what we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks is you have a God who has bound up and put under his authority both Satan and his army of demons bound them. In other words, he says, I will authorize you to only do so much in the lives of human beings. It's a good thing because, um, you know, when I read the Bible, there are stories in it where one angel, one single angel, will wipe out and kill 170,000 people. Like that. So if, if I, if me, Luke, if I had to do battle with one single demon, fallen angel, I'm goner. I mean, it's not even, a, there, there's no, 
There's no question about it, right? But what has God done? They're under my authority. They can't harm you, right? Can they tempt me? Yes. Can they kill me? No. So when you get into the fifth, sixth, and seventh trumpet, the thing that begins to change is the, with the fifth trumpet, God loosens some of his authority. He says, okay, now here's what I'm going to allow you to do. I want the demons to go out, and you will have more authority to torment people. How do they do that? Well, two weeks ago, we looked at 1 Corinthians 15. They sting with their tail. Scorpizomai took us to 1 Corinthians 15, where we recognize that a demon, he stings you by tempting you into sin. The sin itself now puts you into a position where you are under the law of God, under the law of God, without Jesus Christ, you're completely outside of salvation. The torment comes when the person buys into the, the, the lie of Satan, gets their lives all tangled up in a sin, and they literally just get tormented to the point where they would say, I just, I just as soon die as to live. And I remember during that fifth trumpet time, God says people will want to die, but death will elude them. Then the sixth trumpet blows. What makes the sixth trumpet different? Now the demons are released to do what? To kill men. Right now, a demon can't kill a person. They can, they can come into a person. They can possess a person. That possessed person can kill themselves. A demon can't kill a person. When you get to, to the sixth trumpet, just read it again with me. It says, the sixth angel blew the trumpet. I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river, the Euphrates. The four angels who have been prepared, okay, God's had them ready, for the hour, the day, the month, and the year. We're, we're in that last part of the last times, right? And they're prepared for this. They were released to kill a third of mankind. That's not a literal number, but it's intended to say, say something to us, right? In, in, in the previous plagues, a fourth of mankind were killed. Now a third of mankind. So it's escalating. And the demons are killing them. Okay, now let's move on to verse 16, new, new for the day. The number of mounted troops... Okay, so kind of, kind of follow this with me. I'm John. I see the four angels that are released. Okay. So kind of like uh, earlier, we saw the four horsemen, right, riding. The four angels now have been released. But they're not alone. There's more coming behind them, right? Here's the more coming behind them. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000, okay? Again, it's not meant to be a, a literal number, but what is it meant to say to us? That it is that number of angels who have fallen, right? And if you try to think, think of it this way, if I look at our world today, I would say, are there many demons? Oh, yes, there are. How do you know that? Well, we don't have an exact count. But we know that, that, that the revelation will tell us that a third of the stars, angels, fell from heaven at the time that 
the battle took place there. Here, it's simply represented in a different way. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. All the writer is meant, meaning to say to you is there is an innumerable number of these demons, so many that when, when I think about our world today, I, I recognize demons are not omnipresent. They can't be everywhere like God can. But there is an army of them, and it is a large number of them. And so I have no illusions in my life. I recognize that there are demons who watch us and the way that we live, and they're coming against us. In, the, in this last time, this is what he's seeing now. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision. I'll go through this, and I want to come back to that number because I think it's important. This is how I saw the horses in my vision. And those who rode them, they wore breastplates the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur. And the heads of the horses were like lion's heads, and fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and the sulfur coming out of their mouths. This is not another third. It's not like two-thirds. It's the same third. You're just seeing the different components of it. The first four angels released, now the 10,000 times 10,000 coming. What do they look like? Red, sulfur, they're breathing hell on earth is what these demons are doing. Now, I want to come back to this, this number because I think it's kind of interesting to me. When, when, I, when I listen to the Revelation, <clears throat> I try to, remember, try to remember that initially, th this scroll was being read out loud to a congregation like this, right? And it's being read to a group of people who know the Old Testament very well. So when I hear this, these words, um, I looked and the number amounted was twice 10,000 times 10,000. You and I, not a lot goes on inside of us, right? We're like, oh, that's a big number. If you were Hebrews, if you were Jewish, if you knew your Old Testament really well, you'd, you'd go like that. You'd be like, whoa, I've heard that number before. Where have I heard that number before? This is kind of comforting. At the same time that hell has its demons running the earth, God also has what? His host of angels who are at war to do what? Protect you and I. Right? Where do you pick that up? Well, this is actually one of my, my favorite psalms. It's Psalm 68, where you kind of contrast this idea that you have the chariots of hell and then you have the chariots of heaven. Flip over to Psalm 68 with me. Just take a look at this. I absolutely love this. What always intrigues me is how these psalms are written <clears throat> thousands of years before uh, any of this action takes place, and yet how, how similar they are to what we see in the Revelation. Kind of walk through this, this psalm with me, because it's just rich with this imagery of a God who says, yes, hell is writing, but so am I, and I'm coming against hell. So... Kind of watch this. God shall arise, his enemies shall be scattered. Those who hate him shall flee before him. As smoke is driven away, 
so you shall drive them away. This is kind of interesting to me. What, what are the demons breathing out of their mouths? Smoke. It's kind of interesting. As smoke is driven away, so you shall drive them away. As wax melts before fire, so the wicked shall perish before God. But the righteous shall be glad. They shall exalt before God. They shall be jubilant with joy. I like this language because it starts to help us see that even during the worst part of history on earth, if I'm alive during that time, I'm watching things happen that I've never seen before, both in the natural world and the supernatural world. There's no way that I'm not affected by it. I am absolutely affected by it. In fact, the reason Jesus says there's a time and a time and a half a time is he says, for the sake of those who I love, I'm going to cut the last period short. Just so you, you, you will make it through, right? So during that time, I can be actually exultant with joy. Why? Because I have a warrior who fights for me. Okay. Verse 4 says, Sing to God, sing praises to his name, lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exalt before him. Father of the fatherless, protector of widows, is God in his holy habitation. He settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity. But the rebellious will dwell in a parched land. It's kind of interesting because all of this action that David is describing and writing here in the psalm actually takes place historically in the Exodus, right? And uh, you, you watch him do this, but it also points forward to a time when God will crush the supernatural enemy, namely Satan and his army. Verse 7 says, O God, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, the earth quaked, the heavens poured down rain before the God, the one of Sinai, before God, the God of Israel. Rain in abundance, O God, you shed abroad. You restored your inheritance as it languished. Your, your flock found a dwelling in it, and your goodness, O God, you provided for the needy. <clears throat> okay, I'm going to skip you over just a few verses so you can kind of see this. Go to verse 17. The chariots of God are twice 10,000. Thousands upon thousands. You see the contrast? In the Revelation, the chariots of hell are, I saw this number, twice 10,000 times 10,000. In the psalm, what does the psalmist look at? The chariots of God. They're twice 10,000 thousands upon thousands. And so what, what I'm pointing out to you is, is I'm listening to this for the first time. If I'm hearing this scroll of John read, there's a part of me that goes, oh my gosh. Don't do it, God. Don't let those demons loose. But the other part of me says, when you do let them loose, here's what I know. As many demons as there are, there are yet more angels who fight to protect me. And so during the last times, what I believe will happen is <clears throat> those who are elect, those who are sealed, those who have faith, will find themselves living in a horrible time. You, you do not want to be alive during this time. At the same time, you'll still 
kind of like we do today, you'll find your joy even in the midst of pain in Jesus Christ, knowing that in the supernatural realm, you have an army who fights for you. So it's kind of a contrast here between the chariots of hell and the chariots of heaven that are at war with one another. Okay? Come back over to the Revelation. I was just, I was just kind of thinking about this the other day. <clears throat> Not that it has a whole lot to do with the Revelation, but it just kind of spurred my mind. When you look at these horses and their smoke and their sulfur coming out of their, their mouths, um, for some reason, you, do you, have you ever smelled sulfur? It's pretty nice, isn't it? I mean, like they make a cologne out of it. I had a friend that uh, he, um, you know, when I was in seminary, you get out of seminary, Luke's, Luke's going to have this happen to him. Luke, Luke, by the way, he's doing our liturgy for us today. Excellent job. Thank you for doing that. Very proud of you. Um, when you get out of seminary, you go to this thing called call day. And you sit down with your wife and, well, actually you don't. You sit down and your wife sits over there. Because it's seminary. And we're Lutherans. And we separate the men and women. <clears throat> so the wives are over there and they're talking amongst them. It's like, I wonder where we're going to go. I wonder where we're going to go. I wonder where we're going to go. The men are over there going, oh, crap. Where are they going to send me? <laughs> the guy that sat beside me, I'm not making this up, he looks at me and he says, they better not send me to Nebraska. I'm like, what, what's, what, what are you talking about? He's like, I'm not going to some corn state. And I'm like, okay. So um, he stands up. They call his name out. You're going to Donathan, Nebraska. <laughs> his name is Rodney Arman, and he's been here ever since. <laughs> I'm like, God knows what he's doing to you, Rodney. Put you right here with all that corn. It's pretty good. Anyway, one of my dear friends, he got a call to Sweetwater, Texas. And after, after you know you get your assignment, you immediately beeline over to your wife. We had a call to, to Cedarburg, Wisconsin, right? And so Anna's busy trying to find Cedarburg on the map. It's not on the map, but she was trying to find it. And, um, and I'm like, it's cold in Wisconsin. She's just like, yes, it's cold in Wisconsin. I'm like, it's, no, it's very cold in Wisconsin. My buddy's like, I'm going to Texas. I'm like, yeah, you're going to Sweetwater. He's like, what's wrong with Sweetwater? I said, do you like sulfur? He's like, no. I go, well, they call it Sweetwater. It's a pun because there's sulfur in the water. And guess what else there is in Sweetwater? Rattlesnakes. <laughs> it is the rattlesnake capital. I said, if you can convert rattlesnakes into Lutherans, you'll have the largest church in our entire city, you know. Okay. So I was just thinking of this smell, this sulfur smell. And um, it just... The, the putrid, I mean, you can, when you hear it, you can just taste it almost. This is, this is what, what John is seeing is, this is hell on earth. Verse 18 kind of repeats what we looked at last week. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire, the smoke, the sulfur coming out of the mouth. Four, notice this, for the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails. Satan lies to you and stings you. The sting is the sting of death. It's always the law. For the sting of death is the law. All right? So he lies to you, places you into a position where you are bound in sin. 
kills you and you die under the law. You belong to Satan forever. That's what he's describing here. Now, I don't, I don't want to miss this. I don't want you to miss this. If I'm John and I'm reading this, and, and to be honest with you, this should be happening to us right now. How do I experience this? Do I say to myself, oh my gosh, this is horrible. Yeah. But there's more to it. We, as, as the body of Christ, ought to have within us such a desire to see no one end up like this. That when you see this happening, it ought to just be like a switch that goes off inside of us that says, we have got to do everything possible that we can to get the word of Jesus Christ into the lives of people who don't know him. It has to happen. You can't read Revelation from a distance. If you do, it's just a Bible study. If you journey into the Revelation, what it ought to be doing for us as a body is it ought to be just triggering us to know, guess what? We just went out into a trailer park. Fifty kids came together. Many of them wearing crosses. And when you sit down with those little kids, they're beautiful little kids, and you ask them, what does that cross mean? And no one knows. I mean, what the revelation ought to be doing in us is saying, what, what must, must we do to get the word of God into people's lives in such a way that they trust the cross of Jesus Christ? This is right here in Grand Island. It's just a few miles away from us. People who don't know him. And when you read this, the, the sense that I have is John is watching what's going on, and he's not just going, whoa, this is a neat movie. He's going, stop. God, stop. Don't let this happen. There's people that I know that don't know you, and I don't want this for their eternity. Because that's exactly what's being described here. They lie with the mouth. You're bound in sin. You die under the law. You are killed by demons, and you belong to Satan for eternity, for eternity. And so I read this and I think to myself, this, this part of the revelation is not happening in our world right now. We're, we're, we're not experiencing it. The demons have not been released to this extent. But it's coming. And before it comes, the body of Jesus Christ, be found doing everything that you can to battle against the ways of demons. Take the word of God. Today, right now, a demon must flee at the word of God. He's under Jesus' authority. And so bring that word into the lives of people. Okay, now I'm going to read something kind of hard for you. Hard for me. Verse 20. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders, of their sorceries, or their sexual immoralities, or their thefts. They did not repent. Okay. To some extent, I really truly believe we're seeing some of this in our world today, right? We are living in the United States of America 
uh, in a time where openly people are taking the, the gifts of sexuality that God gave to us and blatantly throwing it in God's face and saying, how dare you Christians judge us? We're going to do what we're, we're going to do and you have no right to judge us. That's our world. Okay? What the Bible says is God is doing what he's doing in order to do what? To, to break people, to cause a person to say, you know what? This isn't good for me. Fortunately, and I'm just, I'm just going to share just a, light, a tiny bit of this. Fortunately, in my days of ministry, um, with people who just get so stuck in sin, um, what will typically happen is a person starts off thinking, this is really a good thing for me, and it devastates them. And you're able to go at a place in their life where you're able to say to them, there's a reason this is devastating you, because it's not God's way. I was thinking, this week I was thinking back to a, a young man that I met in Lincoln. Nice looking young guy. Went off to school, University of, of Nebraska. And got swept up into kind of a, a homosexual group of folks. Met a guy who became what we will call his sugar daddy. And what that means is this guy that he met was an older man who said, hey, I'd like to buy you a house and I'd like to give you a car. What kind of car would you like? He says, well, I kind of like Porsches, yours. I'll give you a Porsche. And I want you to live in this house and you can have the Porsche. And by the way, I'm going to pay all your bills. I'm paying for the house. I'll pay your water. I like all that. Don't, don't worry about it. If you need clothing, give you an allowance. And this guy took did that for this, this young man. Um, the young man, in order to just try to survive what was going on inside of him, became an alcoholic. He drank to kill the pain inside of him because deep down inside of him, the Holy Spirit was still working, saying to him, who are you? What are you doing? When his sugar daddy finally decided, you know what? I want a new one. I want a new toy. And came to him and said, you're out. I mean, it was overnight like that. You're out. The guy that I met was a young man who now was addicted to alcohol and drugs. And everything about himself was shredded to the floor. He, he saw himself as just a complete devastated loser. For a time, he battled with the idea of, um, you know, why did this guy do this to me? And finally, he turned the corner and was able to say, I did this to me. I lost my way. And I look at someone like that, and I think this is what God is trying to do. He's trying to take people and bring them to this place where all sin will do is it will just devastate you. It will just leave you in a dump pile. And, and the demons go, good, to hell with you. And uh, what the Spirit of God is trying to do is, no, come back to me. Come to know me. I will, I will give you back to you and you to me. And this is what I've made you for, relationship with me. And these are hard words for me to read, is in this last time, with death happening, with torture and torment happening, 
you still have those who say, I won't repent. Don't you tell me what to do. I will do what I want to do. Okay? <clears throat> There's a couple of cross-references that I want us to look at that kind of struck me when I read this uh, 20th verse about this last time where those who, who say, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, just continue. One of them is actually in the, the book we're studying in worship, 2 Peter 3. If you flip over to chapter 3, um, you kind of see what John is seeing in the Revelation. Kind of listen to these words, because I, I think they're descriptive of today. 2 Peter 3 starts off, says, this is the second letter I'm writing to you, my beloved, and both of them I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last day with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. Does that sound like the newspaper? It just sounds like a newspaper. I'm like, what? This is happening right now. They will say, well, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately, now this is interesting, Romans says that people suppress the truth. Here, Peter picks up that same idea when he says they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago, that the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. So my buddy Billy Jack ended up on Nightline, if you've ever watched Nightline. Because he, he's going into public museums now. He walks in, and he starts talking about what he sees. He starts to tell people, guess what? The world did not begin with some kind of explosion. The world began with a word, one single word from a God who created it. And let me tell you about these exhibits that you're looking at. And you know what? Before long, a whole crowd gathers around Billy Jack. And he's walking through this museum and he's giving a tour. And he's not a tour guy. He just walked in and started talking. And people started coming around him. And he goes to the whole museum and the museum people go, Hey, who are you? You're not one of our people. You can't do this. And Billy Jack says, I pay taxes. I can do this. I'm just kind of talking out loud. All these, I don't know who these people are. They're just following me. And what he's doing is he's saying, do you know that the world began with a word of God? Scoffers say, oh, no, no. Big Bang kind of a deal. And the word of God kind of not, didn't need any word of God. Oh, yeah. That's, that's what he's talking about. Now, look what he says in verse 7. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. Do not overlook this fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness. These are some of my favorite words in the Bible. But it's patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's all God wants. Come down to your knees and admit it. I'm a broken sinner who needs you. 
And yet, what does the Revelation tell us? In the last time, that half a time, with all the destruction going on, this is how stubborn men are. I will not bow down to you. I will be my God. You don't tell me how to live. I tell you how I'm going to live. And God says, yes. And you'll be separated from me for an eternity. Flip over to one other one. This, is, this one is really intriguing to me. Jude. All right? Hey, Jude. <coughs> the Beatles wrote a song about this guy, Jude. Well, probably a different Jude, maybe. Most people believe that the writer of this is uh, one of the blood brothers to Jesus Christ. Jude was one of Jesus' brothers. What we know about Jude and James, both have books in the Bible. Both of them are late writers. In other words, when you kind of take a timeline and you date when the different books of the Bible are written, Jude and James are late. Why? Because both Jude and James came to faith late. They were scoffers. They looked at their brother Jesus and said, oh, we, don't, we don't know who you are. We don't know what's wrong with you. When they came to faith, both Jude and James became some of the most on-fire, ardent proclaimers of the Word of God in their day. Okay? When Jude writes, he is writing contemporarily with Peter. So we're about 68 A.D., it's a mess in Rome. There's a lot of persecution going on. And Jude comes along. Verse number three, just look what he says. He says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Four, certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this con condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master, Jesus Christ. Now, what's interesting about Jude versus the Peter reference, in 2 Peter 3, we're reading about people who are non-repentant. They're outside of the church. In other words, they don't proclaim to be Christians. In Jude, you're now looking at a picture of people that are actually inside of the church who would say, I am a Christian. I think of every single pastor who stands up and says, I think that this gay, lesbian, transgender thing is just fine with God. I'm like, that's who, that's who Jude's talking about. He's talking about you. You're in the church. You're proclaiming to be of Jesus Christ, and you're the opposite of it. And what, what, what Jude is saying is these individuals who pervert God's grace into sensuality, guess what? They crept in unnoticed. They snuck in. Now go to verse 5. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully, fully knew it, that Jesus who saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual 
immorality, pursued unnatural desire, served as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also relying on their dreams defile the flesh, reject authority, blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael contended with the devil, who disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Okay. Look at verse 11. Woe to them. They walked in the way of Cain, abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error, perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts. Hidden reefs at your love feasts. You know what a reef is, right? If you're in a boat, you hit a reef, pokes, it, pokes a hole in your boat, and it sinks you. They're amongst you, hidden like reefs at your love feasts, worship gatherings. People who are in the church who are saying this is, this is good. Um, it, it says, as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees are laid on them, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam with their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, remember Enoch was the seventh child from Adam? He didn't die. He was assumed into heaven. His life has a meaning in the Bible. Enoch actually prophesied. He said, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000. By the way, why was number seven? Seven is the number of Jesus. So he prophesied. He says, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones. Uh-oh. There's our number again. See it? Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all, to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness, and they have committed in an ungodly way and all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him, grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires, loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism, and gain. Okay? So what is Jude doing? Both Peter and Jude are, t are talking about this right here. And it's occurring today. You've got people who will stay stuck in their sin, and we will not repent because, God, you can't tell us how to live. And all Jesus wants is to bring people to that place where they give up, where they find their lives in such a mess that they have to say, I need you, God. I need you, God. What is the message for us as a church? For me, the message is really simply, pay attention to the time that we're in. There's a time and a time. That's where we're at. Recognize that there will come a time that have a time unleashed demons. No, we don't want to be alive during that time, but prior to it, let's commit ourselves, everything possible, to bring people to know this is who made the world. This is what he made you for. This is the cross and what it means in your life. It's not just a piece of joy. This is where he wants you to live and he wants you to live forever. Hold on to him and his promises. That's what the Revelation is trying to say to the church today. We'll stop there. Chapter 10 is another stop sign where we're going to take a little bit of a reprieve because by the time John reads the end of this and sees this vision, he is devastated by it.
He is literally devastated by it. And he needs God once again to say, come on up here, John, and let me show you that it's all under my grace. Let's pray. Lord God, as we... Uh